Good morning. That was kind of weak. Good morning. Good morning to those of you watching online as well on this beautiful September morning. I was at a, uh, a service yesterday, a um, funeral service, and it was one of those kinds of services where you run into a lot of people you haven't seen um, in, a, in a long time. And I saw many people, but I had one conversation with, with a guy who, you know, I probably, um, when I first became a, a Christian, I was in college, and, and I think there was a handful of years I remember this guy, you know, being a part of <clears throat> that community, a lot of great memories. And then I moved to Texas and then moved here, and a lot of years have gone by, and I probably have not seen him in 25 years. So it was nice just to see him and catch up. And, but it's hard to know, how do you catch up, you know, and all that. And I just said, how are you doing? And, you know, he had that look on his face like, how can I possibly tell you, you know, in 10 minutes or whatever? And he said, you know, to be honest, Rob, my, my, um, I've had a lot of ups and downs. It's been a lot of challenges, you know, in my family, in my life, in the last year since we've been together. But he said, even if I told you all those things right now, you know, if I had two hours to tell you or whatever, um, they would not really do justice. They would be far outmatched. And he kind of had a smile on his face. He said, by really all that God has done in my life, the good that God has done in my life, he goes, God is still, and he even mentioned how old he was. He goes, I'm 67 years old. And he said, God is still at work in my life. God is still changing me. Uh, and I thought, what a, what a perfect example of what I have been trying to say in this brief series over the last three weeks as we begin the year uh, together. My, my premise is this, that if you are a Christian, whether you've been a Christian you know, uh, for a short time, perhaps some of these folks, or a long time, like my friend, like some of us here, um, to be a Christian means that you are being changed, Okay. Not, not, it's not change, it's change. We are, you know, even our mission statement, it's a life-changing relationship. It's an ongoing relationship. And that change does not all happen overnight. And that change is not always linear, right? Sometimes you have to go down the mountain before you come back up. But to be a Christian is to be changed. It's to have your mind changed, right? Not just once but many times over the course of your life. It's to have your heart changed, not just once, but many times over the course of your... It's to experience life change. And while we're in that process, right, and it is a process for every Christian, we're just simply to invite other people, point other people, encourage other people, right, to come along and... I experienced that change as well. That's where I'm going to end our service, or excuse me, the series, short series called Change, with a message on that um, point called A Call to Reach. Matthew 28, familiar passage for many of us, the very end of Matthew's gospel. If you have a copy of the Bible or however you access it, turn it on. Just a handful of verses, Matthew 28, 16 through uh, 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says these words. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, uh, certainly in the Bible as well. Uh, if you've been in the church for any length of time, this is sort of the, the mission statement of the church. And if you read the book of Matthew, all of the great themes, and we've been looking at this over the course of a year, and we're going to get back into it in October. Or we've been in the book of Matthew more or less over this course of this year. We're going to continue. I'm just jumping ahead here for the purpose of this sermon, but we're going to be back in a series on the parables in, uh, in October. But all of the themes of the book of Matthew, right, from the very beginning, you know, this great long genealogy that's trying to tie Jesus to Abraham and in the genealogy of Abraham to the Sermon on the Mount, this great block of teaching about the kingdom of God. And then we go on and on as Jesus calls together, starts the church in this humble group of disciples. We see them here to say we're going somewhere. And all of the great themes of the book of Matthew really come together in these few verses at the very end of Matthew's gospel. In fact, even more than that, not just to the themes of Matthew's gospel, but really, and again, if you were a first century Jew, this would make even more sense, I think, but really all the themes of the entire Bible really come together in these few verses. And Jesus is using sort of some, some code language, verse 19, therefore go make disciples of all nations, okay? That's radical. It's not radical to you and me because we've been a part of the church. It's 2,000 years old. But the people of God, right, for millennia um, had basically been about taking care of themselves and meeting their own needs. I'm talking about the, the Old Testament people of God. But the original promise that started this whole thing in the beginning, I'm talking about the God's call of the Old Testament people of God. Jesus is making reference to it here. Genesis chapter 12, when nobody heard the name Jewish, nobody heard, that was nothing on anybody's radar. And God comes in his own providence to a man who had no business starting a movement, who was out of gas, who was almost 100 years old, had no kids, which was a high uh, shame and um, you know, uh, not a good place to be, not a man of honor when you have no children in this culture. And he comes to him and he says, listen, Abraham, or Abram, right? I gotta, I'm going to do something special with you. And he takes him out. And he says, look up to the stars in the sky. Right? I mean, just something to, to show, you know, an infinite number. Look up to the stars. And he goes, do you see all those? He said, yes. He said, that's so shall your seed be. No, you haven't had any kids. And no, people have forgotten about you. And you've been living in shame your whole life. And so is your wife. But I'm going to blow your mind. And out of you, I'm not just going to give you a kid or two. I'm going to create a nation. And you, more than that, I'm going to call you Abraham because you're going to be the father not of one family or one nation, but of many nations. Now, that's what he said. Now, in some sense, what sense does that make to somebody? No, if you're like me, it's like Nicodemus. You know, I'm going to be born again. And thinking, how am I going to have nations? But what it meant, of course was that the message of God, the covenants of God, the promises of God through Abraham would come to all the peoples of the world. And that promise, which had been dusty and confusing, 2,000, Jesus reaches back 2,000 years to Genesis chapter 12, and he says, this is the moment, right? 
And he does it in just a handful of verses. But I think that they're uncomplicated. Why so uncomplicated? How could Jesus be bringing string giving so much truth and do it in just a few verses? And I think he does it, my, my sense, and I'm not the only one that would say this, is because it's not just for these men and women, right, that first were sitting there on this mountain. He knew that this was going to be the mission statement for the church throughout history, not only in the first century, the second century, all the way to the 21st century. And he wanted to make it very simple and very uncomplicated because he knew that people like you and me and all throughout time would be getting our marching orders from these very verses, okay? What does it say in this change series? Three simple things, this very powerful passage says to us. The first one is, and this is for you and me, you are called as you are, okay? You are called as you are. That's what this passage is saying to us. You know, this has been a long journey. If you follow the, 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 um, the, the gospel of Matthew, not only is it a long journey, I'm talking about psychologically, spiritually, you know, you know, they go from just meeting Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and it's just kind of like this interesting prophet and he's talking about, you know, God's promises and God's word, you know, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, to, to the place where Jesus has been crucified and risen from the dead and all kinds of trouble in between, okay? It's been a long journey. It's been a geographical journey too. If you were to look at the book of Matthew in particular, they start in Galilee. And Galilee is not only a more is not only a humble place if you've ever been to even today in the in in the in the country of Israel. It's not only it's, it's kind of the sticks versus the city. Jerusalem even today is more New York City and Galilee is more, you know, country. And it was especially true here. But what happened, what was true back in Jesus day is that in Jerusalem Yes, it was a place of political power, also civil power, but there was also what often goes with power is corruption and things like that. And the purists in Jesus' day, the purest Jews, they all lived in Galilee. The people who said, we don't want to mix with the, we don't want to compromise with the Romans and with even the Jewish leadership. Not all, but in, to a great degree down there in Jerusalem. In the purists, the Essenes, the John the Baptist types, the, you know, the, the we're going to do it the way God said it should be done. They lived up in Galilee. In fact, all 12 of the original apostles, you may know this. We're all from Galilee. And Jesus starts this movement there, and it feels great. You know, it's like, it's like one of those things where, you know, you're, you're, you're reinforcing these big ideas. Jesus is talking about you guys are on the right track, and it's all about sticking to the word of God. It's all about not compromise. It's all about allowing God to do what he's always said he's going to do, even back there in the Old Testament. And we're going to stay on track, and we're going to do this, and we're going to take the hill for, for God. And they say, that's wonderful. But then they go. There's a geographical journey from Galilee to Jerusalem and Jerusalem back to Galilee. But in that journey, which may only take, you know, a year and a half or so, let me tell you, the whole world changes. Because the closer they get to Jerusalem, the more there's conflict, the more there's persecution, the more there's difficulty. And of course, Jesus dies. He's crucified. The disciples are scattered. And it's only at the end of the, the verses just before I read when everything is just falling apart, and, and, and some women who were at the crucifixion, they say to the disciples, listen, I know you're discouraged, but Jesus says this, even though it seems like everything has been blown apart, he wants you to go back to that little campsite where this all started. He rose from the dead. I know you may not believe that, 
but go back to the Galilee and he's going to meet you there. And that's what you have. And, and what happens here, just imagine in these, in these verses, you know, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted, right? Think about it. They go back and Jesus Christ has been dramatically transformed before them. I mean, he's, he still looks the way he did in some ways. But think about it. The last time they saw him, especially if you have just Matthew's gospel, okay? As far as we know from Matthew's gospel, we don't know if this is true, none of the 12 apostles were witnesses of the crucifixion, right? right? According to this gospel. We know in others, there may be one or two were. But they were not there. The last time they saw Jesus was when he was arrested, right? And he was, in some ways, you might say, the defeated Messiah. And it says they will strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered, and they went for the hills. And now they are here, and they're looking. Jesus is, he goes from the defeated Messiah, you might say, not just to the um, successful Messiah, but to the Son of God, right? They saw him, and they worshiped, okay? You know, we, we admire athletes, we admire, you know, um, accomplished people, but you don't worship them, okay? Shouldn't anyway. And they worship him because they see him, but what's so telling about this passage is, right? You are called as you are. Jesus has transformed in their eyes, but these guys are essentially the same as they've always been, Right? In fact, there's only 11 of them, which tells you something, right? Can't even keep that together. And it says, they worshiped him, but some doubted, right? Some doubted. Now, I'm sure they partly doubted that this was even real. And, I, and nobody, would give, nobody would give these guys a hard time for that. I mean, who, no, this has never happened in the history of the world, right? And it's not as if Jesus was in some kind of accident and they were unclear to be crucified, Jesus wasn't the only person ever crucified. It happened, you know, thousands of thousands of people were crucified before Jesus and around the time it was part of a capital punishment in, in Rome. And when people were crucified, right, the nature of, the, um, of this torture was to leave absolutely no doubt, right? I mean, you hung on the cross until your legs gave out and you suffocated and, you know, and in the hundreds of crucifixions that anyone may have seen when they were around this one, you know, nobody makes it, right? Even like sometimes today when people are in capital punishment and they, have, and they botch it and somebody makes it, it's a horrible story, but it happens. Never happened in crucifixion, okay? They left you on there until you were dead. So to see Jesus Christ I mean, it, it, it makes sense that they would doubt, they worship, but some doubted. But I would say, because Jesus told them three times that we know of, he, said, he gave them an inside track. He said, listen, I'm not leaving this to mystery. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going I'm to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be tried. And I'm going to rise from the dead. So even though that's a hard thing to believe, they had been told that multiple times. So I think what they're really doubting here, think about you, think about me, is not that Jesus rose from the dead, that's amazing, but they're, they're, what they're doubting is the fact that he would still be interested in using them after they had failed so miserably, right? Matthew 26, 56, the last time the 12 disciples and Jesus are in the same geography, it says this, they all deserted him 
and fled. Right? Not just Peter. We give him a hard time because Peter is, you know, was the great denier and he denied you. All the disciples, every single one of them. Matthew 28 starts, you know, it talks about the women verse 5, that meet Jesus. He had a coterie of women who also supported him. You know, they were there, right? Maybe this is a, you know, an old a kick in the stomach, right? It's, a, it's making a point, you know? The women who in this culture were seen as unreliable witnesses, they were not chosen for these special roles. Okay, this is 2,000 years ago. They're the ones that are present, and they got to go to talk to the disciples who are in hiding and say, go meet him, there's a sister. I got a name in over there. Okay. Uh, they go back and say, listen, he did what he said he was going to do. But here's what's so amazing. Although they were completely unprepared for this moment. This is, listen, this is for you. Jesus never even mentions the doubt or raises the fact that they had deserted him. Right? Never even brings it up. Never says, hey, what gives? What happened to you? How come you bailed when they arrested me? And by the way, I, before my eyes finally gave out on the cross, where were you? All right? Never mentions it. He simply gives them some very important words, and he says, listen, the thing that's been on the, on the, um, you know, the, the to-do list for the nation of Israel since Genesis 12, this big promise that everyone thought God forgot, I'll make you a father of many, this, this thing to cover the world with the, the glory of the Lord and to like the waters cover the sea. Listen, it's coming together now and God wants you guys to lead it. But don't forget, last verse, I am with you always to the end of the age, Okay? You are called as you are. You know, in my many years as a, as a Christian uh, pastor, I have struggled with this idea of discipleship. And, and this is what I mean by this. Are all, I've asked myself this question. Are all Christians disciples? And what a disciple is, many of you know this if you don't, what is a disciple? It doesn't mean the 12 guys that were originally called the original disciples or apostles. Disciple is, a, is, a, is just a word that means apprentice, it means follower, it means, you know, I'm an apprentice, I'm a, I'm a student. And I've said to myself, are all Christians disciples? And I've always said to myself, you know, they're not. Because I look at my own life, which is uneven at times, and I look at a lot of people and I say, well, I really believe so-and-so is a Christian, but they don't really read the word of God. They're not really committed. They don't really share their faith. Their life is a mess at times. So I come to the conclusion that you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. But the more I think read the Bible, the more I realize that's, that's convenient theology, but it's not actually true. Everybody that is a Christian, according to the Bible, is a disciple. But many of us, you say, what gives? We're not taking decisive steps of learning more, of leading more, of sharing more. Why? I think it's because many of us feel unworthy and we feel unready. And what I want to say to you is this, very closely. You will feel that way for the rest of your life. And while you're feeling that way and I'm feeling that way, other people 
who have their act together no more than you do, they're going to take that opportunity and do what God has called you to do. Okay? That's why we have to come, why this passage is told with the doubting disciples, one of them didn't even make the, the story here, right? There's only 11 of them, to say, you are called as you are. Quit making excuses. Quit going over your, um, your, 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 your failure list and just go. And when you go, God's power will be with you, right? You're called as you are, second point, the call is based on the authority of Jesus, right? This, this answers the doubt. This answers the, um, you know, the, the, the lack of, of courage. This answers the, I'm not good enough, I'm not ready. And that's why the words are, it's interesting why this is so, another way this is so economical. The, 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 the women that report to the disciples, they say, go to Galilee and you will see Jesus. Now they usually say see because it's a, last we knew he died. It's like, you know, you're going to see something you couldn't see before. Go to Galilee and see Jesus. But when they go to see him, I'm sure this is on purpose, not one word in these, you know, handful of verses says anything about what Jesus looks like, right? Now, I think if I'm the, if I'm the author of the Gospel of Matthew, right, and maybe I'm present at this. I want to talk to him. I want to say, man, it's unbelievable. You know, he, he, he had this glow about him. And, and as it does say in one of the other gospels, but not here, right? And he, remember the nail prints? They were still there and, and on and on, right? But it's not a word of that is mentioned. I ask myself, why isn't it mentioned? Here's why I think. I'll have to ask Matthew someday. I think it's because he wants to say, listen, this passage is really not for the 12 disciples. In fact, by the time Matthew wrote this gospel, this, this was history. This is written for the millions and millions of would-be Christians like you and me who come into the community later and say, listen, what Jesus looked like doesn't going to mean a whole lot. The emphasis in these views is on his words because it's his words that that. that, that pass through time, his words that are alive, his words that speak truth. And he, four times in these, just these couple verses, three verses, 18, 19, and 20, four times the um, adjective or adverb, the word all is used, making a point, all authority, all um, power, all authority, all nations, Everything, all the things that I've commanded you and I will be with you always. What's the point? Everything points to his universal authority. He's, he's, he's meeting this need that he knows is present. He knows these guys were dejected. He knows they hit for the hills. He knows just like Peter, they're thinking, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm not prepared enough. I failed you. You don't want anything to do with me. He says, I'm never going to bring that up. But here's what I am going to bring up. All, now watch this. All authority, in, has been, all authority, now watch this. First, it has been given to me, but watch the qualifiers. In heaven. Let's start with that. This is where most of us live your life, right? I believe that Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven. In other words, he's, he's the guy over all of the spiritual and religious life, right? I'm going to go to Jesus when it comes to I want to get baptized. I want to get married. I want to be, you know, I, I want to do some good, right? Jesus is the authority in my life, if that's your decision, over all matters of religion. 
that's not what this passage says, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That doesn't mean just spiritual authority. It means social power. It means political power. It means economic power, right? Everything has been given to him, right? All the reasons that you and I are making excuses or the things that we're so concerned about as these humble men were uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, listen, they all work for me. All authority belongs to me, right? Only when we realize the call is not based on your insights, your smarts, your power, it is on his Authority. You know, the, the, these passages are called, even says this in my Bible, if it does in your hard copy, if you have one, that says the Great Commission. It's been called that for, you know, uh, hundreds of years by scholars. In other words, it's, it's where the church starts. And it has been pointed out by many people and scholars and, and, and pastor people over the course of thousands of years how closely these five verses, right, this small little group of verses, how closely they resemble the commissionings of people in the Old Testament, the re- almost always reluctant and inadequate servants who are called by God to do something special in the history of the early church. You just think about it. You know, I mean, Abraham, you know, who tries to get out of his commissioning. You know, Moses, go send somebody else. I'm not a good communicator. You know, David, he's the youngest of the eight. They have to kind of, you know, his father doesn't even think about calling him. This is the whole story of the, of the Bible. And what these writers are saying is, listen, the Great Commission is done in the spirit, in the actual template of how God has been calling people forever. He doesn't call 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When God wants to get something done, he doesn't go to Harvard. No knock if you went to Harvard, but I'm just saying. He doesn't go to the highly intelligent. He doesn't go to the highly skilled. He doesn't go to, you know, the the beautiful or the, you know, super talented. Of course he uses some of them. But what the point is is this. I'm not going to go to people who think they already have what it takes to do what I've called them to do, right? I'm going to go to the the, the nobodies of the world, those who are not to show people um, what it is that God can do because it's only in him right that we can actually do the impossible right and the first thing that I need to decide the first thing that anybody needs to decide is listen what God has called me to do is so much bigger than who I am and these scholars have said listen if you go back to the the calling of Abraham you go back to the calling of Moses you go back to the calling of Gideon you remember that whole Gideon thing oh my goodness if you don't know that story right he got the guy God can we go over this one more time can you guarantee me this one more time you know uh, uh, Jeremiah, but let me just give you one for sake of time. Joshua, okay? Joshua. The call is based on the authority of Jesus. You know, if there was ever a man's man in the Bible, it was Joshua, right? You can understand, you know, maybe Moses was, you know, babied because he was, you know, his mother was the queen of Egypt or, you know, whatever. You know, I mean, you know, he was uh, the... the uh, you know, the, the, you know, a spoiled kid, or, you know, you can go on and on and on and look at some of Jeremiah. You know, I was called as a kid, and God, I'm just a teenager, and, uh, you, know, you know, if you know Jeremiah's calling. But, Mo, but, Jer, but Joshua, from the time Joshua was a teenager, he was raised as a military leader, 
if you look back into the Old Testament, right? Even be, he was Moses' aide de camp, and he was a guy who, from, from the time he was as young as your boys, John, that young, he had a sword on his side. And when the tent of meeting, before there was a temple, then there was a tabernacle, before that there was this little thing called a tent of meeting, a small little backyard tent. And before they had the formalized worship, Moses would meet with God. Two million, there'd be, there'd be tents for so far as the eye can see, the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and, and they wanted an answer to questions before, the, before this was written down, right? And they said, Moses, we got all these questions, and Moses would go into this little tent the, the, the um, cloud would come down over it, which would be demonstrating to all these people out there God's present. And the only person that could go into that tent to talk with God was Moses, which is why he'd come out sometime with a veil on his face. But there was one other person that was allowed to go in there and sit down in the corner. It was Joshua. And for all those meetings, he just sat there you know, with his, you know, sitting Indian style. That's what I think. I don't know. But anyway, just sitting there listening and watching the transactions. And then his first job was to be a military leader, right? A military leader, even before Joshua, the book. Now, if you think anybody had it together, it was Joshua. Look at the words. When Joshua finally gets his assignment, he doesn't feel that way. Have I not commanded you? All right? This is the Lord speaking directly. Be strong and courageous. Why would, no, people don't tell you to be strong and courageous if you already are, by the way. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, listen, whatever God is calling you to do, whatever God is calling us to do as a congregation is going to bring fear and discouragement. Why? Because God is not in the business of calling people to do small things, right? He's gonna call you to do, even if it's having, have a successful marriage, it's not an easy thing, or to do something great in the kingdom of God. He's gonna call you to do something that's beyond your own capacities, and not just a little bit, right? That's why he says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. It's the same thing he's saying here. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid, excuse me, for the Lord your God will be with you when you need him. No. Wherever you go, until the end of the age, on bad days as well as good days, I will be with you. And even when you capitulate, even when you fail, even when you blow it like Peter did, and by the way, so did the other 11, I'm going to be with you then too, right? That's what this passage is telling us. You are called as you are. The call is based on the authority of Jesus. And lastly, the promised power is for mission, okay? This is important. The promised power, all this authority on earth, right? You know, uh, you know we worry about geopolitics and, you know, New York State politics, and we worry, you know, let me tell you something. All authority on earth belongs to him. Everybody works for him, okay? This is, this, is, this is the fundamental conviction if you really want to see God do something in your life. We spend so much time complaining about things, we're really complaining about God, 
right? We think it's okay. No, God, I don't complain about church. I just complain about taxes and, and about my wife or my husband or, or, or school or, you know, well, all authority on earth is his, right? All authority is his. But some of us, you know, we have this feeling, I think, sometimes to say, you know, the Bible talks about promised power. A lot of places, and we could go to many places. I'm not going there today. Ephesians chapter 3, many, many places. You know, God can do immeasurably more than you ever asked or imagined in your life. And you go, well, what, uh, what gives? How come I, I, I can recite the words, but I don't feel the power? And here's what I'm sort of saying here. The power is for a purpose, right? It's for mission. And many of us, I don't think, are experiencing the power of God. We like the idea. We believe in it. We sign. We check the box. I'm a Christian. But I don't really live outside of my own um, wits and interests. And I've already decided whether it's leading a, a young kid's small group, whether it's um, in being involved in some ministry, whether it's in sharing my faith, my work, taking a stand about honestly what I think about the world, whatever the case may be. See, I don't do that because I'm not worthy, because I'm not ready, I'm not strong enough. So I'll, I'll check, I'll tell you I'm a believer, but I'm not actually living. And what I'm saying is... Um, the power comes with the mission, right? He, he, was, was, was Joshua anxious before uh, Joshua before the first campaign? You better believe he was, okay? You better believe he was. Of course he was, as were these leaders, right? One of them had already capitulated and went to the other side. I mean, this is real stakes, right? But the promised power is for mission. Another quick thing to say in this passage. When this passage was written, think about it, there was no vocational ministry. Even the Apostle Paul, which is years later than this passage, when he gets going. The Apostle Paul, who started the church all over Europe and in, in, in Central uh, the, the Middle East. The guy had a full-time job, right? <laughs> he, he, he was a home builder during the day. There's, there's no vocational ministers. This is not for the clergy class. This promise is for everybody. You know, the people that were baptized here, I don't know if this is true, but I, I hear most of the stories at one point or another. I'd be willing to uh, bet that of these seven people that were baptized, not one of them came to their first encounter with the, with the message of the gospel because they had a conversation with a pastor or that they even heard it in a church service, maybe. But where they heard it, where I heard it, right, was somewhere in my life where somebody, right, uh, in high school, in a college classroom, in a neighborhood park, whatever the case may be, wherever you do, God has not called us, by the way. Sometimes we, 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 we get ourselves off the hook because the mission seems so big. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, that wasn't given to Browncroft Community Church. That was given to the church universal, right? We have our piece of it. God hasn't called us to cover the world. God has called you and me to, be, to cover, to be connected to the, um, the community where you do your life tomorrow, right? If some of you work at Penfield High School, guess what? Most of the rest of us don't. You know, and on and on and on, right? God has called you. God has called me. And he says, listen, you're called as you are. You say, well, I'm divorced, so what? You know, I'm, I don't have a lot of money, so what? Uh, you know, I'm not a very good communicator, so what? Either was Moses, right? 
You're called as you are. The authorities is Jesus. And if you want to know this power, listen, get out into the boat, so to speak, right? Get out. Last one more verse. Um, Acts 18, uh, 9 and 10. You know, even the Apostle Paul, you put him right in there with all these other leaders. One night, the Apostle Paul, I'm at Acts 18, 9 and 10, he's in the middle of his missionary journeys. He's in the city of Corinth, which was like the New York City of his day. I mean, you can preach all day long in, in Israel. You get out in, in Europe, people are like, you're nuts. You're crazy. You're a, you're, you're a kook, right? One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Watch this. Do not be afraid. Same thing he said to Moses, same thing he said to Joshua, same things he says to everybody who's serious about what he's calling to do. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Why? Because, you know, um, that's what I'm telling you to do and let the chips fall where they will. No, for I am with you. I am with you. That's the key. Of course you couldn't do it on your own. Listen, you... You, there's so little that you could actually do successfully on your own if you're honest. I mean, just, just make it, showing up for your own life. <laughs> Heidi's laughing, right? Right? I mean, just showing up for your own life, right? And trying to, to get through more or less doing something of significance with your life, right? I am with you, that's why. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I, now watch this. I have many people in this city, right? Just this one little geography. He's not talking about the grand world. He's not talking about, you know, he says, in this city, which wasn't that big and, you know, it's not as big as, you know, who knows? In this city, what, what is being communicated? Listen, Paul, I only not only know about you, I'm not only connected with you. I know your fears and your anxieties. Let me tell you something. I know everything about this city, I know where the, the, the bars are, the coffee shops are, the schools are. I know where everything is. And I can see what you can't see. I can see the hearts and minds of people. No one can see that. I can see through, right through them. And I know that there are people. What does he mean by that? God loves all people. But I think he's saying, I have people in this city right now whose hearts are opened, who are not ready to um, throw a stone at you. They, they're, they're in, they want to take, they want, they want, they want more information. They, they're interested in the grace of God. So hang in there and I'm going to help you find them and them to find you. Okay? That's what we're talking about. And if more of us will do that, you know, uh, God's not, God is not calling us to build a church. We, we, get, we get screwed up sometimes we think that. And I, especially pastor people. He's calling us to make disciples in the church he's building, right? He's building, not us. So I'm going to close with a challenge, and I left this with you in June. So this is a, um, I'm hitting this again. And that's a very simple strategy. You know, our, our what we'll call our um, reach one strategy. I mentioned this in, our, in the magazine I sent out to you. Three simple things. This is out of the Bible. It's not some clever thing. Uh, you can go back and listen to the message in June, last Sunday in June. Number one is to pray, right? I'm talking about relative to this. There are many more people in this city, fill in the blank, in your office, in your neighborhood, even know your neighbors, in your, um, where you are, right? There are many more. You don't know who they are, but God does. So you're praying for insight and discernment, right? 
And then you need to, so I pray it. Make it, God, show me where you want me to go. Open my eyes, right? Um, you know, Jesus says, John, open your eyes. The fields are wet unto harvest, he says to his disciples. You don't even see it. It's hidden in plain sight. Show me, God, who in my family, friends, uh, needs that's open to you so I can be used of you. Then you need to make an investment, right? Get out of your own head. Get out of your own, you know, priority list, you know, of trying to hold your life together. Let God hold your life together and actually invest in other people. And you listen, you don't have to go to Africa necessarily. You don't have to go, you know, we, we come up with all these grand ideas. Listen, just invest in the people that are in your life. Are you listening to who's hurting or who's interested? And you don't, and listen, what does an investment mean? How about a conversation? How about a book? How about a lunch? How about inviting someone over your house, etc.? And make an investment, right? Make an investment in a relationally. And lastly, invite them. Right? What does that mean? Come to church next Sunday? No. It means invite them, right? Into a deeper conversation. Invite them, you know, to, to talk about something. Invite them, I don't know, uh, uh, to read a book. I mean, every situation is different, but invite them to consider um, the amazing grace of God that has taken at work in your life. And I think if you do that, You'll, God, you'll be amazed, like my friend, you know, pastor, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs in my life, but God is still at work in my life. He's still using me and changing me. I hope that's true for me uh, many years from now. Let us pray. God and Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. Be with us uh, this morning as we consider, uh, Lord, this calling that was given and it continues to be given to every follower of Jesus. And God help us to learn from saints past and, and, and present that, you know, uh, there's nothing ordinary, extraordinary about the called except that they serve an all-powerful, sovereign, mighty um, highly intelligent God. And with him, all things are possible. Help us, Lord, to see what we don't see, to be open to the lives of the spiritually hungry, whatever kind of car they may drive or life they might live, to the spiritually hungry all around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, stand with me before I send you out. I want to just uh, tell you two important things. One is, here it is, almost the end of September. It's uh, hard to believe. Two important things. Most These might be in your bulletin, but they're worth mentioning. You know, we talk about life change, right? Uh, uh, I mean, dramatic life change or really seeing God do a work in your mind and your heart. And that happens all over this church, as I said. But one of the places it happens um, and it is that you, some of you know, and some of you who never heard of this, is Celebrate Recovery. And you go, what's that? It is a Christ-centered recovery ministry, okay? Um, where people, it's not just about drugs and alcohol, it's about hurts, hang-ups, habits of all kinds that are addressed through 
um, the power of the gospel in a Christian community. And let me tell you something. It's like, it's like a miracle hidden in plain sight. God is Many of the stories that we share, we don't often brand them this way. They're from people who've been in Celebrate Recovery. So I say this to you for this. On October the 1st, which is a week from Tuesday, okay, two weeks from this coming Tuesday, they're going to have their eighth year celebration of ministry at Browncroft, okay? And it's in the theater, the children's theater off Sea Hall. And uh, so I'm saying this for this. You can, anyone can come at any time. It's not this secret club thing. But on the 1st of October, they're going to have, um, it's an anniversary. So it's, it's you know, it's, they're trying to sort of showcase this um, ministry. So it's a great time for you to see what's going on. It might be for you. It might be for a resource for you, for others. So come and take advantage of that. Um, I hope you'll come. It's a lot of fun. 7 o'clock, October the 1st, the, um, the Explore Theater. Uh, you can even get there from the, you know, the, other, the parking lot or through here. Now, second thing is, um, the um, two weeks from this Tuesday, one week is the uh, CR, the 8th of October is our congregational meeting. And I want to just give you a heads up. We'll be talking about it. But we've got a lot of important information to share, a lot of exciting things to talk about. We're ending the REACH initiative, at least the, the first phase, as you know. But we also have other exciting things to share with you, to celebrate. We have to, of course approve our budget, elect our officers. So I want you to mark your calendar if you're a member of this church for October the 8th, 7 o'clock in this room. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday.